This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. We're diving into 2 Timothy chapter 4 today, so if you have your Bibles with us, it's really the completion of our series. We've we've been in it now for six weeks, including uh, today, and I I pray that um, you've grown in your faith. You're growing in your journey um, with, with Jesus as we as, as we have explored this final letter from Paul to Timothy. Now, remember, Paul is spiritual father to Timothy, right? His beloved child, and and Paul is life is soon to be over. So he's giving this last letter, sharing these last words um, to Timothy, his disciple. In, in, in the faith. And so it's just like you as a parent or me as a parent want to share some last final thoughts with our kids, with our children, with others. So we write a letter and this is what's, what's taking place. So we're going to be in chapter four today. It's kind of the final chapter. It's a short, short book. So get ready to go. Let me ask you this question. If you're a parent of a two-year-old, um, what is the one question that you constantly hear? I, I already gave it to you there, right there, right? It's Why? Why? Is that the question all the time? Like, so they go like, you need to put your shoes on. Because it's 19 degrees outside. That's why. You need to eat your vegetables. Why? Because they're good for you, right? You need to put your coat on. I mean, do the questions ever end? Um, You need to go to school. Well, two years old. I don't know. Why? Right? Why? I read a a little story of of a guy who on Sunday morning, I got up out of bed and he says, why do I have to go to church today? You know, I'm in the Super Bowl's on or football's on. Why do I have to go? And his wife looked at him and said, well, the reason you have to go is because you're the pastor. That's why. So you need to go. So, but may, you might be familiar with, with the why question in your own personal life, in your own, in your own faith, faith journey. I want to talk about that for just a moment because we're going to use why questions as we kind of travel through chapter four here in, in just a few moments. But if you're asking why today, I got good news for you. Not only is that a good thing to do, but you're in really, really good company. His name is David, the one who's close to God's heart. He asks this question, why, in Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no risk. Maybe some of us have been there. Maybe some of us are there this morning. Why, God? Why aren't you answering me? I've been praying to you. I've been, I've been seeking you. I've been um, pleading with you. Why, God, are you not answering me today? Why, even when I'm groaning at night, why, why, why? You just don't answer. And for some of us, the reality is like our, our prayers never go above the, above the ceiling. So why? David crying out, um, he feels forsaken, he feels alone, he's in pain, and so he asks the question, what is it? Why God? I'll let you kind of dive deeper into that psalm today. We're not going to in this moment, but I think the reality is some of us have a hesitancy to ask that question of God. Why? And what we, th- we think, you know, when we ask why, we think that we're doubting Scripture. Like, I'm doubting you, God, if I'm asking why. And we're not. 
In fact, I encourage us to ask the why questions. Asking why with an open heart to the Spirit increases our faith and leads us into a deeper understanding of God and His Word. So asking why. So that's how we're going to start our journey through the fourth chapter of of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Ten why questions. We're not going to get into all of them today because we would be here until prayer meeting tonight at 6.30. But we're going to dive through some of them. Why questions. Pro tip, by the way, when you ask you why, and I encourage you to do that, when asking why, include those questions you may already know the answer to and see where they lead you. You might be surprised. Okay, are you ready? Ten questions. You might want to jot them down or um, take a picture of them or whatever. But why? Number one, why did Paul at the end of his life issue this charge to Timothy? Why did Paul write a letter to Timothy at the end of his life? Number two, why did this charge include preach the word? Why was Timothy to be ready in season and out of season? What's Paul talking about? Why? Why will people have itching ears? Why do people wander from the truth? Why will there be suffering? We talked about that a few weeks ago. You might want to go back to that. Why did Paul share about his finishing the race? Why did Paul talk about the crown of righteousness? Why did Paul mention Luke? And then finally, why did Paul address um, um, or reference those who had deserted him? Because for like most of us, you desert me. I'm going to forget about you. I'm not even going to bring your name up, right? But why did Paul, Paul do that? So we're going to actually dive through the first five of those questions, and maybe you want to continue the journey considering six through ten. But question number one is, why did Paul, at the end of his life, issue a charge to Timothy? Why, why did he do that? Why did he write this, this letter? Most of us have watched a relay race, and so we understand what's going on with the passing of the baton, right? There's always a baton that is passed to the next runner. And I read something very, very interesting because that's what I think is happening here. It's answering the why question. Paul is passing the baton to Timothy, but I read something really interesting. I never ran a relay race like that. And so I looked it up and something maybe will be new for you too. The baton passing chemistry between athletes is possibly the most important factor that will determine in what order the team members will run. All the time I'm thinking like, is who runs the fastest at a certain point, right? But it's the chemistry between the athletes that's the most important. Some athletes just naturally pass the baton well together, while others just can't seem to ever get it right. And I think that that's what we're seeing here, is the passing of the baton on the Timothy. Paul knows that his life is soon to be over. We read about that in his letter. It's going to end soon. We don't know exactly how, how much time he has left, but it's going to end. So Paul is just saying, here, Timothy, here you go. Now you go, and you're, you're running the race. I mean, this whole chemistry between um, relay racers is also, I think, evident between quarterback and receiver, Yes. It just seems like there are some receivers that just know where the quarterback is going to be. Or if he gets in trouble, they know what to do. There seems to be a, a chemistry, and they have a habit of making what seems like impossible plays. And that's what's, what's going on here. The passing of the baton from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. you got to carry on. 
You got to keep on going because what I have suffered for is worth it. Because what I have given my life to is the calling of every follower of Jesus in Timothy. You got to carry on. You got to take the baton and you got to run. Anticipating the executioner's acts, he, Paul, passes the baton to his young friend Timothy and entrusts him to run the next lap of the race. I think what I can see in, in that is like, Timothy, don't give up, man. Like there's going to be times when you're going to feel like you just want to drop out of this race, but man, do not give up. We've got a race to complete. Paul had poured his life into Timothy. Now it would be his mission to carry on. And I do want to say by extension, it's the same for you and for me. It's a call that we have on our life because this, what we're reading, is a perfect description uh, of a discipler, Paul, and his disciple, Timothy. It's a discipler pouring into a disciple and saying, now here you go and you carry the baton. You, you stay on mission. Paul had provided the example and the teaching and now is trusting Timothy with the good news of the gospel. Stay in the race regardless of the circumstance because as David Platt mentioned, eternity will prove its worth. Second Timothy, the whole of the book, is all about the passing of the baton. It's interesting, the word charge, I think. It's, it's really, you got to kind of place yourself in a courtroom setting where when a, you are charged with something, you have an obligation, right? Um, Timothy, you have an obligation. It's what you must do. And so the answer to the why question, I would just suggest to you, why did Paul write this letter at the end of his life? Why did he issue this charge to Timothy? It's all about discipleship, and that's our call. That's the call to you, and that's the call to me. It's all about going and making disciples here, there, and everywhere, and passing on the baton. The second question is this, why, why did this charge include preach the word? Think about it. Like, could have said to Timothy, here's what I want you to do. I want you to study this. I want you to study. No, it's like preach the word. I remember when Jen and I first kind of stepped into, like what I get to do now as a pastor, that charge was given to me. You got to preach, you got to preach the word. I don't know if you've, you've gone to the latest, to the bookstore lately. And if, if not, maybe travel through there someday and just, just go to the self-help section. <laughs> do you know how many self-help books there are? I think, you can ha I think you can be self-helped in like any area uh, uh, of, your, of your life. It's huge. Telling you how you need to conduct your life. What you need to do to be successful in life. I, I, so I just kind of did a little research. Um, listen to this. With an estimated 15,000 self-help books published in the United States each year, the self-help genre continues to grow. With the personal development industry slowly but steadily growing, the self-help improvement market, listen to this now, is expected to rise to $14 billion by 2025. People are looking for help. Now, let, let me just kind of like parenthetically say this. I'm not opposed at all to the unique gifts that God's given to others that help us in this journey. 
But self-help books should never replace God's word in our life. Amen. Pretty good place, even if you don't say amen in church, just say amen. Any book should never replace God's word. Thank you. I don't know how many self-help books were around in Timothy's day, but something was going on here for Paul to say, Timothy, I charge you, you got to preach the word. I do know Paul shared this. He said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers. Well, they will gather in teaching to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Something's going on here. Preach the latest self-help book? No. Preach the word. Timothy, you are a proclaimer or a herald of the truth of the scripture. And this must be both your passion and your commitment. Now, just in case, just in case, some of you might be sitting out there going, yeah, I'm off the hook because I'm not standing on the stage and I'm not a preacher. Wrong. We are all preachers of the word. Our life preaches, right? Our life, everything, how we act and how we react um, um, puts on display the one that we have committed following. We are all preachers of the word. Preach the word. The preacher is not to air his own opinion, but to proclaim God's eternal, authoritative word of truth. Man, I can give you a lot of opinions. They just probably wouldn't be all that good. We are to be people committed to the truth of the word. The answer to the why is this. The Bible is God's word. It's trusted and relevant. Don't let anyone ever tell you that's irrelevant. It's just not for today. Yes, it is. We are to be people who proclaim in life, all of life, the word of God through how we act and how we react and how, how we live. The Bible is God's word. Why was Timothy to be ready in season and out of season? That's the next question. Now, if, you're, if you have the NIV translation, that's a good translation. Um, NIV uses the word prepare, so be prepared in season um, and, and, and out of season, be, be, be ready, be prepared. It means to be ready, to be, be, to be on hand. And that would mean that Timothy was to stand by his charge, right? Committed to speaking the word or his duty, whether the opportunity seemed right or not. Now, I want us to think about that for just a moment. Timothy, be ready at any moment, and I'll use the title of our series, to live forward, to step into, to live out the gospel. Be ready at every moment. Paul kind of echoes this theme, in, or, or Peter does, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, when he says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. How often? Yeah, always. Everybody say always. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I like to say it this way. People can see hope. People can see hope. 
in you, and they can see hope in me. Why aren't you worried about the future? Because our hope is in Jesus, that's why. And people see that. And Peter says, like, you gotta be ready to give an answer for that hope that lies in you that people see. It's a challenge to you and to me. Be ready in season, out of season, at every moment, even though it may not seem to be a quote-unquote ripe moment. Let me make a statement that you may agree with and you may not agree with. We in the American church, it seems, have fallen prey to a rhythm that rarely allows the Spirit to interrupt our day or moment. Do you agree or disagree? We, and I'm I saying that we, the big, big C church, we have fallen prey to that rhythm that rarely allows the Spirit to interrupt our day. And that, that seems too harsh to say. Let me say it this way. It, it begins with me, and I am challenged by that. And I was challenged on a trip um, to Senegal one year, to, to West Africa, where we have partners there. And Felloween, who's been on this stage, shared a story, and I've not forgotten it. And here's what happened. Here's what took place. She was up in the morning getting ready to head to, to where her day would take her at, at the girls' school that she was a part of. And she told the story about how a neighborhood lady had dropped by, who had come by right as she was leaving. And Felloween just sensed the Spirit speaking to her that this is what you're to do. This is what your day is going to be. Now, I forget the exact time, but I think it was about a four-hour time that she had spent in that God-directed moment. It's a culture that I think that we're not, not used to. I, I get the schedules, and I get the work schedule, I get all that. But what if you and I lived more ready to, to respond to the spirit that's in us, allowing God to bring others into our lives, and if we were ready, would he do that on a more consistent basis? I think the answer is yes, he would. We'll talk about stewardship in, in just a moment, but Bruce Wilkinson said this, and you know, I read it, I wrote it down. Look, I'll just apply it to myself. If you want to apply it to yourself, you can go right ahead. But here's what he says. We like to be in control of what we do for God. I'll say it again. It's me, it's for me. If it hits you, go ouch, okay? We like to be in control of what we do for God. <laughs> ouch. It's really a life of stewardship. So we talk about stewarding our finances. We do, and we did already today. But a life of stewardship is just not giving of our finances. It's also our time. Stewarding our day. Stewarding our time. It's something that I have tried to make it a habit of, and I, and I, and I don't do it every, every moment of the day, but I, I tried to. If I'm going to go into the store, God, let me steward my time for you. And if if you want to interrupt my time when I'm going here to buy tomatoes, you can do that. I try, I try to do that. I'm going to go in to get coffee. God, I want to steward my time. So if you want to do something, God, just I give this time to you. What if we prayed a prayer that sounded something like that? What if we began our day praying this? God, my desire is to, be, is to steward my day for you. If you, God, desire 
interrupt my day with an opportunity to be used by you in the life of another? What if he allowed the Spirit who lives in us to begin to speak to us, to interrupt our day in that moment? Do you think God would bring people by us, by our way? I think so, because it's like, be ready. Be ready to respond to the hope that lies in you. Be ready. It might be a phone call. It might be a moment in the grocery store, just a moment. It might be a text. It might be while you're standing in line. I don't know. But what if we were in, instant, ready, in season and out of season to respond? The answer to the why question I think I would just offer to you is God's purpose for each of us is to share the gospel story. We have the greatest story to share that Jesus has come. He gave his life for each and every one of us. And we can be reconciled to the Father as we place our trust and faith in him. That's why. The fourth question is this. Why will people have itching ears? Think about that. Itching ears like to be scratched. Yeah? Mm -hmm. It feels good. The phrase itching ears literally means having their hearing tickled. Having their hearing tickled. Itching ears. Every generation has people who have itching ears. Every generation has teachers who tickle the ears of people. And every generation has followers of ear ticklers or scratchers. Every generation has people who have itching ears. Every generation has teachers who tickle the ears of people. And every generation has followers of those who tickle and scratch ears. I could tickle your ears this morning with, say, a doctrine, or doctrine of health and prosperity. God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Isn't that great? <laughs> Problem is, it's not true. But that doctrine is, is out there. God wants you to be, and if I, if I preach that, there would be a number of things that would happen. Some of you wouldn't be here today. Um, there would be uh, some who want to have their ears tickled would come. But I just suggest to you, if I preach that, two things are going to happen. Number one, there would be people who would follow that false teaching and adopt it. You know why? Because it feels good. Now, we could go into that, but we're not going to. But preach that overseas. Tell me how it works. We were in India. Still remember this story. And one of our partners there was sharing how they had went out into a village to share the, the gospel. And here's what they heard. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. And they were, it said, great probably remember this, Bob. You I'm sure you remember the story. Great, you're Christians. You know what the next thing was? Now, what can you give us? And what they discovered was, that's what they had heard. Like, you become a Christian, you get all this stuff. It was a faith based on, look, that's what I get. There would be people who would follow that, but secondly, and I am thankful for this, I would have certain people in my life scheduling coffee dates to bring correction to my teaching. And I am thankful for that too. 
And I'm grateful for that because that's what we all need in life. Imagine going to your doctor and your doctor tells you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. You get that? Let's tell you what you want to hear. Would you go back to that doctor? You're getting awful quiet now. <laughs> Doc, you go there and the doctor says, you are the picture of health. Wow, your, your, your uh, BMI, right, is perfect. I can just tell by looking at you. you. Everything is perfect. That's what you want to hear. But maybe not what you need to hear. I went to my doctor in a, few, a couple of years, a few years back. And so she asked me this question. How much coffee do you drink? Okay, so I'm going to confess to you. It just rolled out of my mouth two cups a day. And I didn't say anything. And so I got in the car that wanted to hear the affirmation, see. And I'm thinking, well, that's not true. So I better start doing what I just told my doctor that I do. So I, I did. I actually started drinking two cups a day. I'll tell you how big they are, but, you know, <laughs> it's two cups. Right? The next year I went back and I said, look, i got to be honest with you. So last year when you asked me how many cups um, of coffee I drink, well, I said two, but it's actually more than that. But I'm actually now drinking two because I told you that and I felt like I needed to tell you that. So that's what, that's what I did. That's how I reconciled that right there. Do you want to be told what you want to hear or what you need to hear? What we Scripture tells us what we need to hear. The reason Paul's charge when commentator writes to Timothy is so solemn is that the time will come and no doubt was already partially present in the apostles' opinion when men will not put up with sound doctrine. That's not what I want to hear. Instead, they will seek out teachers of whom many are always available who would tell them what they wanted to hear rather than face them with the truth. People who tickle ears. Paul's main focus on this passage was on the inclinations of the audience rather than, as was his custom, the evil intent of the false teacher. The result here is that people would turn away from the truth of the gospel and wander into what Paul calls, calls myths. Gordon Fee says this, the errorists and their followers have simply abandoned the truth for a lie. And there is no promise to Timothy that things will get better after Paul's death. By the way, health and wealth uh, doctrines, they're not the only false doc doctrines out there. The answer to the why is this. People are searching. Be ready because the Spirit will, will prompt you. Last question, then we're going to wrap up. Why do people wander away from the truth? That's a really good question. Why do people wander? When they have the truth, why do they wander away from that? Because we're seeing that even today. Now I have a pair of noise-canceling headphones. You know what I mean? Put them on, just cancel out all the ambient. I never travel without them. So all the airplane noise, you know, the person next to you, um, whatever, it all, all cancels out, out the noise. They're wonderful. And when the, the uh, airline uh, host, Stuart, Stuart um, 
begins to tell you, give you all the instructions, uh, you, know, how, you know, what to do if the plane like lands in water, and nobody lives anyway, you know, but put on, this, put on the life thing, you know, got my noise canceling head, head, headphones on, and they, they work, work really well. Now, the problem with noise canceling headphones is this, not only do they cancel out the noise that you don't want to hear, they'll also cancel out the pilot when the pilot comes on and tells you something you need to hear. Think about that. See, noise canceling headphones are both good and bad. You can cancel out the noise, but you can cancel out the things that we need to hear as well. People wander away from the truth because they cancel out the voice of the Spirit that's in you. That nudges you and prompts you and nudges me and prompts me in the way of the Lord. Those headphones will cancel out the voice of the Spirit. The headphones will cancel out others who have a vested interest in the spiritual well-being of you and me and of others. These headphones will cancel out the Word of God by ignoring it. And that's why we constantly say, you got to be in the Bible. you got to be in the Word. Canceling out what we need to hear. I was traveling with Jen um, over in the other side of the state, and um, I wasn't sure exactly that we were, where we were going, so I put on um, the GPS thing, right, on your phone. And, and uh, the phone tells you where to go, or the, the lady, um, it's a female voice for me, and uh, just used to a female voice telling me what to do, and so... Um, <laughs> I am not talking about my wife. Don't, I, am ta- I was raised by a single mom. Okay, so that's it right there. And so uh, we were traveling, and the voice came on and said, you know, turn left, right? And I told Jen, I'm not doing that because she's wrong. And so I, I continued on. And like, you know, I go just a little bit, and what do you hear? Reroute, Right? recalculate, reroute, and I, I, we kept it going, and I said, I'm not doing that, that is wrong, and I know where I'm going. And it wasn't long, I would say maybe 10 minutes or so, um, um, I said, I think, I think we better turn around, <laughs> so, and we better listen to the voice of the lady on the phone, you know, and so I turned around, and of course, it was right. Now, the question is, what are we canceling out? What are we canceling out? Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It guides us in all of life. The answer to the why here is this, not being rooted in the word of God. Why do people wander from the truth? Because people are not rooted in the word of, of God. The, the, uh, the theme of snow blast where the students are right now is rooted and trying to get the students into God's word. They wander from the truth and into other areas because they're not rooted. I'm going to give you five. I know we're over. Thanks for first um, kind of hanging on for a little bit. Um, but I want to give you five applications for this real quick. And you might want to take a picture of them. I'll send them out via email if you get that as well. But Christians are to live passionately the mandate given us by Jesus to make disciples. We're to live that out passionately. Our calling 
is greater than our comfort. Our calling is greater than our circumstance. So the question is, who's, who's in your life? Do you have someone in your life as a follower of Jesus? If you think that you can't disciple someone until you reach a certain level of Bible knowledge, don't you let that stop you. We're all to be disciple makers. Christians are to be regular consumers of God's word. Are we prioritizing the word before world? Word before world. We're to be consumers of God's word. Well, I don't understand it. Well, join the club because none of us understand the entirety of God's word. There are a lot of why questions and the answers will only come when I ask God and Jesus why, right? Um, Deuteronomy 20, 29, 29, there are some secrets known only to God, okay? Christians are to be regular consumers. Number three, consumers, or consumers, Christians are to live expectantly for opportunities to share Jesus. Are we stewarding our time well? In other words, allowing the, the spirit that is in us to interrupt our day. I can't wait to hear the stories as we live that out. Christians, number four, must be discerning of the truth of God's word. Are we staying in the word? Are we discerning right from wrong, the truth of the word? And number five, Christians are to be tuned into the spirit and others God brings in our lives. Are we accountable first to him and to the spirit? And are we accountable to others that he brings into our lives? Um, I am confident, as I said, that there are people in my life who help me stay on track. I hope you do as well. Now, we're going to pray, but here's the deal. Something probably connected with you, I hope. Maybe it's the noise-canceling things. You're just like shutting that out. Maybe, maybe you've sensed the Spirit nudging you in a certain way, and you just kind of close that, that off just a little bit because it's uncomfortable or for whatever reason. Maybe that's what you will offer up to Jesus today. Um, maybe... Just maybe um, it's the whole ear tickling thing. Um, you remember, remember what happened in the garden? And the enemy came along and it tickled the ears of Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve. So look, here's what you can be. Maybe, maybe you're experiencing that just a little bit today. I don't know. Um, whatever it is that God has said to you, I, I just want to encourage you. I'm going to pray and then we're, we're, we're going to sing. And that we just lift that to the Lord today and let the Spirit do His work in our life. Maybe it's getting into His Word. Maybe that's kind of set that up on the shelf here. We gotta grab that. And we're gonna get into His Word. We're gonna allow His Word to lead us and guide us in all life. We're gonna start our day off. God, I give this day to you. I commit this day to you. Light, direct me, lead me, guide me. And let the spirit work. Can't wait to see what happens in my life and yours as we live that out. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, I, I thank you for your word that leads us and directs us, directs us into all truths. There are so many voices out there today leading us away, attempting to lead us away from the truth of your word. God, I would pray that each one of us would just allow your spirit to speak to us, to nudge us. God, that we would live out our faith journey in such a way that people will be attracted, not not to us, but to you, as we lift up your name. 
God, I pray that uh, maybe for some of us, we're just going to take off those headphones this morning that we use to kind of cancel out your voice just a little bit. Maybe for some of us, when we get up tomorrow, we're going to commit our day to you, steward our day in such a way that allows you to interrupt our day. God, that's what I pray. As we lift that up to you today, God, we're giving you freedom to work in us and through us. In Jesus' name.
circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee. In Jesus' name, I pray that a miracle would happen today. I pray miracles will fill your life. In Jesus' name, I pray for your healing. That circumstances would change. Circumstances would change. I pray that the fear inside would flee. In Jesus' name. 